You know yep. what theme? You know what theme song I love? <laughs> what? I love the Golden Girls theme song. Thank you for being yeah. a friend. It's a great theme song. It is. All right, Julie, I'm going to throw it to you for the intro. Oh, what was right. that? Was that mucus? No, that was me. Oh, don't do that again. <laughs> All right. Let me know when you're ready. I'm just sipping on coffee. I'm <laughs> ready when you are. All right. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Happy Mother's Day out there in Cool Kids listening land i am your girl juju on that beat and my homeboy des who's loudly sipping on his coffee oh could you hear that yes i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry are coming to you from our respective cities on the east coast and the midwest good morning des how are you happy mother's day thank you i'm not a mother but thank you I'm not either, but we're just going to throw it out. You're a mother to surrogate children all over D.C. and Northwest Indiana. Oh, I love how you put that. Do you? Surrogate children. Yeah, you're a mother to somebody. This is true. This is true. This is true. What are you doing for Mother's Day? How are you going to help your mom celebrate? Yes. So um, we're having a gathering of generations Mm. today for brunch at my cousin's house. Yeah, I know, right? That sounds fun. It's going to be great. Um, I've got lots of sangria on deck. So here we go. <laughs> here we go. We should have waited till after the gathering to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> wine juju was a lot better than sober juju. <laughs> than sober juju. <laughs> She's way more honest. Um, <laughs> super, way more observant, too. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. This is true. This is true. Um, but we kicked off Mother's Day weekend um, Friday evening with a spa date and a nice dinner at a French restaurant. So, oh, what was the name of it? Um, let me, let me, For, let me guess, let me guess. Ah, oui, oui. Ah, no, no, no. It's called Vermilion. Uh, um, that sounds French. It sounds regular. <laughs> well, if I said Vermillion, there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> now it sounds French. Yeah, so it was great. It was great. Um, awesome. So yesterday was a day of introverting. My mom and I are both introverts, mm. so we are content to be in the same space and really not say anything to one another. So we did a lot of that yesterday. We did a three mile hike, um, and today it's just eating and celebrating. So. What about you? How are you celebrating Adrian? Oh, yeah. So, and your mom. And my mom. So um, with Adrian, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Every year, this day comes, and I'm, like, not prepared. Like, anniversary time, I'm good. <laughs> Bur- her birthday is three days before our anniversary. So that Aww. I got on lock. But Mother's Day, I'm always confused. Like, I, should you? Because she's not your mama. Yes. But she's the mother to your children. I've struggled with this for seven years. You're not my mother, but you're the mother of my children. So do I get you a gift? Technically? And y'all have a lot of kids. Okay, we only have three. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally only have three children. <laughs> Why do people, you got a lot of kids. No, I just got y'all three. Y'all got a lot of kids. Like, I thought I saw five. It's uh, only three. Maybe you saw two extra ones, like, <laughs> we're not ours. <laughs> Have surrogate children. That's what that is. As an only child, I'm like, y'all got a lot of kids. Right. More than one. Right. 
<laughs> so I don't know. We'll do something after church. And then uh, my grandma is like the patriarch of the family. So normally she cooks, but I think that we are taking dishes to her house and doing like a potluck. As you should. Yeah, yeah, you know. Is it is is this your grandma or your abuelita? This is my grandma. This is my, okay. my black grandma. So your black grandma. Yeah. On the black hand. On the black hand side. <laughs> Take some fried chicken over there. <laughs> and uh yeah, we're gonna enjoy family. My sister's here from Indianapolis and so enjoy, we're gonna oh, nice. celebrate my mom. Yeah, it's gonna be a good time. Whoop whoop. Um, that's exciting. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's average. It's basic. It's super light, subpar. I'm excited. I'm not excited. I'm looking forward to it. Not really. You said it's super subpar. Yes. What we do? I'm sure you'll find lots of joy in family fellowship after <laughs> fellowshipping with your church family. I can't wait till you make this big announcement that you've been posting about on social media. Yeah, so, I'm not gonna spoil it for people. I mean, by but, the time this airs, the announcement <laughs> what, will be made. Right, because we, are, we aren't live. Let's keep that right? in mind. People think, okay, for those listening, I made a post about my church and it, <laughs> it specifically says we have a church announcement tomorrow. Join us. It's a major church announcement. Major church announcement. In quotation. Bear in mind, major. Major church announcement. So this mm-hmm. relates the church. I'm a pastor of a church for those listening. And um I've gotten text messages and people, hey, are you guys pregnant? No, we're not. <laughs> Why? Why do people want me to be pregnant? Do they want? Because we wife? want you to have even more. Right. Kids. You want me to have even more kids, and you can be like, yeah, you really got a lot of kids. You really got a lot of kids. What you got? Ten? No, the church announcement is that we're moving. We have service at two o'clock, so we're going to move to um, eleven o'clock service. That's it. Ooh, a whole hour. Y'all, is that Wait, a major Did you say 2 to 11 is a whole hour? I thought you said 12 to no, 11. I said okay. 2 to 11. Okay, okay. That that carries a little more weight. I don't know if that's major. Well, it, it's good marketing. I want, people are nosy by nature, so I want them to come. <laughs> yes, we are clearly super nosy. Yes. As soon as you posted that, it's like, yo, what's, what's this major well, announcement? Yeah, so the Negro... Y'all having a 14th come. child? Yes, the 20th child. <laughs> the 20th child's coming? Yeah. Oh, well, speaking of children I love and it. Mother's I Day... I love your segues. Um, I love your segues, Julie. That's good. Th- thank you. You are getting better at it. You're like um, a natural Wendy Williams, I don't know. Oh my gosh. How you doing? <laughs> um, I was texting you earlier and not to like add this to the conversation, but like my, my soul is just so vexed right now. Tell us why. Um I was texting you about Malia Davis and another young lady, um the young lady, baby, infant, Zoe, um, whose last name is escaping me right now. But two young black girls um, whose lives were cut short by the people who are supposed to protect them in the world. And it just, it doesn't, on this Mother's Day, it does not sit well with me. It wouldn't any day of the week, but, but particularly um, today, that our, our daughters are not safe in their own homes, in their own communities, um, in the instance of Malia, Malia 
has had several um, surgeries. The The latest one was a, a brain surgery. Um, and when she was recovering from that, her mom went out of town to visit her sister. Um, and in the process, her stepfather uh, claimed that he was carjacked by um, three Hispanic men and that the Hispanic men kidnapped his daughter, but he and his son were, he and his infant son, I think the sons, maybe one, somewhere between one and two, were clonked over the head, um, and, and Malia was, was kidnapped. Now, that never sounded right to me. I was like, this man has clearly done something to this child, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not a judge, jury, executioner, so I was like, let me sit back and see how this unfolds, and it appears that um, the justice system is arriving at a, a similar hypothesis as he has now been arrested uh, for the disappearance and murder. Apparently like blood was found in the apartment recently. Um, it, it just doesn't look good. And then um, in an unrelated case, again, there was this um, beautiful three-year-old girl, Zoe, um, bo- both young black girls um, who was basically used as a pawn um, in a fight between her parents. Dad's upset with mom. Dad tells mom, you'll never see your daughter again. Puts baby Zoe in the car and then proceeds to set the car on fire mm. so that mom can never see baby Zoe again. And I know we're going to be talking about mental health and I feel like this is related to mental health, but I I don't I, I really just don't understand where it is ever okay for a parent to end their child's life. Like, I, I don't understand. I'm not a parent. You are a parent. <laughs> and maybe you're like, girl, you don't, you don't know. Like, there are moments. <laughs> I doubt you're going to say that, but I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm struggling right now with this. I'm being a parent is hard, you know, because I have 15 kids. Um, you have 15 children. So, <laughs> but never have I gotten to a place, nor my wife that I know of, <laughs> that we said, "Hey, I'm taking one of these little guys out of here." You know, it's it's never it's never gotten that far. And apparently, there must be, I don't know, in some of these stories, I think that there is a track history of either drugs or alcohol use mm-hmm. and abuse, which could mm-hmm. contribute to maybe a person's mental stability, um, mental health, you know, being a major factor, the black community, poverty, you know, many factors that could lead uh, a black parent, uh, any parent, but especially you know, where we come from black communities, you know, when there's lack of money, people don't really think clearly or properly, you know, Loss of a job, frustration, anger, and sometimes that we take that anger out on our children, and it and it ends up in just hard situations like these. So our thoughts and love and good energy, prayers go out to the families that have to deal with this on Mother's Day, like you said. Mm-hmm. On Mother's Day, on nonetheless. Nonetheless. Uh, well, you already mentioned the mental health mm-hmm. you, aspect. You kind of did first, so. Uh, yeah, well, you know. As we segue. As you sip your sangria at 8.30 in the morning. I wish. Um, 
No, it's not. It's not 45 here. It's okay. Listen, and it's 1245 somewhere. Do you have a problem? Um, no. No, <laughs> I'm actually drinking coffee. I made a latte this morning. Oh, you fancy. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nespresso. Ooh, wow. there'll be a sponsor soon. Hopefully, um, I thought about that this morning. You look like we need a sponsor, but yeah, mental health uh, is is something that we don't really talk about. And we we started this conversation last week, but like in the black community, it's taboo to talk about mental health. Um, we even have like euphemisms for talking about mental health, like that boy is touched um, rather than saying you know they're struggling with mental health our elders will say well you know he's touched or you need Jesus Um, but we never actually talk about mental health in a nuanced way and without stigma Um, and we certainly don't talk about getting help would you agree with that, Des? I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I didn't know if you were finished with your thought. I didn't want to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, in the black community, you know, we do use a lot of verbiage that kind of circles around it. I don't think that we really know how to deal with it, you know, for if we go back with our ancestors. You know, mm-hmm. we, go all the way back. You know, we rewind past <laughs> the civil rights and we go to slavery. Or we go to, you know, when slaves are emancipated. You know, I think that at that moment, I think that what I think personally, without me being a psychologist or a therapist, no clinical degree whatsoever, my degree is in communications. <laughs> but I think <laughs> that once slaves were freed, that I think that's the moment that, because they were used to being in a certain environment. And I think that once that environment broke, it kind of broke something in their minds, uh, I think black husbands and fathers who saw the women raped and killed and that was something they were used to so when they had to go to work like a regular job I think that kind of attributed to some mental illness and I think that for generations and generations and generations and generations and generations it has been a perpetuating like cycle that has never really been touched on and I think that we as a black community are really good at like using church as a blanket to kind of mm-hmm. cover that and say, oh, you need to pray for him or pray for, for them. They got a demon or whatever, you know, or they're touched, as you said. And church has been kind of our escape mm-hmm. um, to, like, cover the blanket of mental health. I was just talking to a buddy of mine yesterday. And, you know, for whatever reason, I go on these retreats a few mm-hmm. times a year with a fellowship. And so whenever I come back, I feel like Dr. Phil, like I can fix everybody's problem. <laughs> I feel so refreshed and energized and um, talking to a buddy of mine, he just got some like dad issues. And um, I said, man, can you tell us what you mean by dad issues? Okay. So I will elaborate. His father was a heavy substance user and abuser, uh, alcohol, drugs. He was not present in any of of my buddy's life. My buddy's now an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, He's pastor, um, you know, so he's now kind of, still dealing with the absence of his father. Um, And this is the plight of a lot of black men. Um, And so as we were talking, I said, have you ever thought about going to therapy just to kind of deal with, kind of address some of those issues? Mm -hmm. He said, I thought about it, just don't have the time. And it kind of got my mind going, how many of our black men are really suffering in silence? 
mm-hmm. because they don't have anybody to talk to or they don't know how to like verbalize what's wrong with them. I think that's I think that's why we end up with situations like the unfortunate stories you mentioned. Someone ends up getting hurt, getting killed because these black men are suffering in silence, but they just don't know how to verbally say I'm hurting or mm-hmm. I want my daddy, you know, saying, oh, my mom hurt me or somebody touched me when I was younger. Like they don't know how to verbalize it. And because we're such a, um, a, a, a gender or we're so like, oh, men, you know, we got to pound our chests. We, we don't know how to show our emotions. Mm-hmm. And it ends up hurting us and those we love around us in the long term. I should definitely be a therapist. I think so. Why? Why? <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you, Doctor Doctor Phil, Doctor Dez. Doctor Dez. Um, Doctor Jack. There, there are a couple things you said. Like one, I want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Um, I read an article recently where there were some brothers and sisters from the motherland who were like, "We're African. We don't get depressed." And so, like. Part of me wonders if that's just part of the culture that's continued um, and has been passed down, like for eons, Um, you know, even though our ancestors, our immediate ancestors were brought to um, the U.S., the Caribbean, um, and Latin, Central and Latin America um, on slave ships, like that culture still carries over those mindsets and beliefs still carry over and so i wonder too if that's part of it um that just when you said you know when folks were leaving slavery mental health really started to to rear its ugly head but then like also living through the atrocities of of slavery like you were saying watching it being subjected to not just watching um your but then be killed. Think about yeah. it. Like if that's the norm, I mm-hmm. think like if if we don't have anything to compare an atrocity to, like just for me, if I'm constantly, yeah, everything this, is right. Yeah. Like this is a part of life, right? But then, mm-hmm. like all of a sudden, you free. <laughs> you know, this isn't what you have to subject Ish. yourself in your right. <laughs> free in a sense, you know. Um, oh. like so now you start comparing. Like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, like I'm seeing a difference now, right? And so that difference kind of sparks this. Wait a minute, the the conflict is what I was experiencing was something that was hurtful, right? And mm-hmm. like, you get it in the moment, but it's like again, it's repetition. You just kind of come like doing the same thing over and over again. It's like, well, you become desensitized to it. And so mm-hmm. then when that when that breaks. And at least to me, you know, I, I think that kind of, you know, the difference maker, right? The the contrast of what was and what is now, a new routine, you know, depression and all of these things, rear the ugly heads and, mm-hmm. you know, start going to alcohol and drugs. And, you know, then, then now you are becoming worse than, you know, the slave owners because you're beating your wives and you are abusing your children. <laughs> then it's like that cycle is being, is being continued, you know. So. That free on paper. If they have their papers. Oh, yeah. gosh. You forgot it. Man. Yeah, that was free. I argue free on paper. Um, that transition out of slavery on paper often equated to still remaining 
often in the same plantation, right? But like yeah, it was yeah. called sharecropping versus um versus slavery. And I think about so when I think like historically about how um men had to and I'm thinking about my own family, had to protect their families during Reconstruction and Jim Crow it sometimes meant gathering your kids in the dark and putting them on a freight train and Mm -hmm. looking for work and losing everything and never being in this space to be settled. Um, Sometimes it meant staying put in the South and like you were saying, um, trying to protect your family from lynchings and your home being burned or even I think about Emmett Till, right? Um, And that experience of a young Black boy who grew up in the North not knowing the social norms of the South and how oppressive those social norms were and how that ultimately led to a physical death for him. Uh, But even thinking about, like, growing up in those conditions and how that can kill your spirit. Um. Can you imagine never being allowed to really make eye contact with a white person? Are you asking me or making a statement? Yeah, like, can you imagine just never being allowed to make eye contact with a white person? I, I could now because I grew up being able to, right? Mm-hmm. Being in that, had I grown up in the South, right? I think that you would have adapted to, it would have been hard, but you know, would have adapted to the, the times. Unfair and unjust, very true. But like, mm-hmm. to put 2019 days or 1999 days, <laughs> oh, it would have been very hard. I would have been looking at every white woman in the face. Like, <laughs> this is what I grew up doing. Yeah. But like, if, if I was growing up in that era, right, I oftentimes think about how, because the, my only point of reference to who I am is to who I am now. So it's kind of hard yeah. for me to be like, dang, how would I have been if I were one of Emmett Till's friends, you know, listening at the girl, uh, the woman, the, or, or making eye contact. Well, what... we know the whistle never happened. Well, true, she true. admitted you, on her death. You are very true. Lied. You are very true. Uh, <laughs> like, that was a ball face lie. Growing up in that era, what would yeah. I have? How would I have been? What kind of person would I have been? Would I still be the outgoing guy that I am now? Or would I have been more submissive? You know, I, I often wonder that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think that's a fair wondering, though. I mean, like, we have an idea of how it would have impacted your psyche. One, by just, like, looking back at the folks, um, like our family members who lived during that era. But even, um, do you remember the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment? No. It sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, a teacher divided her students by blue eyes and brown eyes and the students with blue eyes were um, given more privileges and told they were better than the students with brown eyes. Um, And so like, even in that, that microcosm, like that experiment, there was a lasting impact on students sense of self um, and their worthiness and their belongingness And so to grow up generations, because it's implied that you're inferior if you can't look someone in the eye, 
right? So I think to grow up in, with generations of people not being able to make eye contact or constantly being put in their place, it would have to wear away on on your psyche and your self-esteem. And I would argue that what we're seeing in our community today in terms of mental health challenges is partially due and feel free to push back again like not a man <laughs> certainly that i'm not a black man i'm black but i'm not a black man that is um, true. has a Genius. lot to do with self-work i'm not pushing back because i agree i think that we at, at this fellowship that i went to um mm-hmm. that i'm a part of one of the conversations uh, we had was about race. And granted, in the fellowship, there's about 30 of us in the current mm-hmm. fellowship. There's about six of us who are African-American. So the rest, everybody else is white. Um, and the ages range from 25 to 49, right? Men and women. Yeah. So we had a very real conversation about race and white privilege in America, which wow. was transformative um, and like enlightening, super revelatory, uh, revelatory Life-changing. But in that, I think I made the statement to the group that a lot of our um, Black teachers, Black men, Black boys grow up with this false identity, you know, because Mm -hmm. you, (laughs) the white culture, um, is always ahead, you know, because of the systemic racism, institutionalized racism that's set up. And so to your point, it does beat down on a man because we 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 talk about I always grew up hearing about the man is holding me back and, the man who is right? this man but like i get it there's a system right that's kind of set up to block us from certain things and we get a late start even if we're successful we had a late start in most cases and so i think that now what are you drinking because you are like gulping down I'm not. I'm not drinking. Are you, are you like... Okay, I don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, it distracted me. Um, yeah, so I think in, t- in addition to your point, um, I think that contributes to the, the health, uh, wellness, or lack thereof of the black man because we're always fighting to get ahead. Um, mm-hmm. Fighting to provide for our families, which can be very hard. And even in this post-Trump you know, Trump era, kind of post because he's been there he's still in the in the white house but since he got voted mm-hmm. we've seen a lot more overt racism come out in america and it's come out with yeah. our co-workers it's come out with some people that we call our neighbors some people we may call <laughs> associates some who even call friends right we're seeing i've lost a lot of friends yeah and that's unfortunate <laughs> so imagine yeah. for a black and i can only imagine for a black woman but speaking from the perspective of a black man yeah, but we're not at, talking about us today. Uh, but yes. You, you, <laughs> we go to work and we expect not to get the promotion or we expect to get laid off. We expect not to get the raise. But now mm-hmm. it's like we know why. I mean, we always knew why, but now we really know why. You know, that can be down on because you can't. Like, I remember times when I was unemployed and I could not provide for my family. It was yeah. depressing. You know, that was like hard for me. And it, manifested itself in certain ways anger lashing out and it wasn't because i was mad at a particular person i was just mad at what the system and what had happened i i could not change that and so for 60 percent of black men in america that's what they feel every day so mm-hmm. we have men who revert to violence we have 
that's the reason drug use is so high in urban communities because our, there's not enough resources. And I think that when you don't have enough resources and then we are already battling with, with you're going through the same thing your dad went through, your dad went through the same thing your granddaddy went through, and mm-hmm. all of those emotions and that anger has trickled down through, through generations <clears throat> along with you can't get a job, you know? That's, yeah. That can be a toll on your mental health and on the way you think, on the way you view yourself, on the way you view society. So it's unfortunate, right? To fix that, I think you gotta, I think that's where therapy comes into play. Like, I think that you really need to get some help because you've got so many things. Like, I think it should be offered for free by the government if it's not already. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure it's not, but it should be Depending like... Depending on what type, like, if you have government insurance, what is that? Medi- is it Medicaid? Medicaid? Medicare? Yeah, Medicare's for seniors, I think. Medicaid. There we go. Sorry, my privilege is showing right now. I apologize, y'all. Um, Don't apologize, but <laughs> just like, what is it called? Um, the poor people get. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got. I actually. Yeah. Oh. It's like I feel really terrible about that comment. Uh, but <laughs> did you say you should? Um, yes, it it can be. And even if you don't have um, affordable insurance or government-aided insurance, oftentimes community-based mental health facilities will have sliding scale services. Um, So, you know, know you pay what you can. I don't think our people know that. I don't think that information is readily pumped out into the community. And sometimes if it's not, we're not in a position to be proactive and like do the research. Right. Cause we have other things that we're trying to manage. So it's like, I'm yeah, this thing is going on. It's happening. Um, I know I might need some kind of help, but I really don't have the capacity to figure out how to get help. So I'm not going to look for it. I don't, I can't, I don't have time. Like you mentioned time earlier. I don't have time. So I'm, I'm not going to look for it. Um, and so if we don't find ways to proactively tell people about the services that are available. So if I had a community based mental health agency, I might go door to door and like leave leaflets or have conversations with people and say like, I'm from this agency. Here are the services that we offer. If you know anyone who needs them, like here's my card, what have you. But oftentimes I've noticed, you know, as someone who was working with community partners, I noticed oftentimes that community-based organizations might go to a fair Mm -hmm. where they think people would be, and then the turnout isn't what it needs to be, so then they don't get the clientele. Um, But I've never seen mental health agencies go door-to-door in the neighborhood and like, this is who we are, here's what we offer, how can we help you? And that might be what it takes to make sure that people living in poverty actually have access to mental health care. Like if I could contrast an urban community to a more suburban community, right? Mm -hmm. You will see obvious marketing for those types of services. You know, your your job makes you aware of them. Schools even make you like fully aware of them. What's provided to students and families. But in urban communities, you don't, they're there, but they're hidden. It's almost like a, a secret, a systemic, like, 
agenda to hide these services, but we will mm-hmm. make apparent uh, liquor stores, right? We're, like those are there. <laughs> right? you, you, Every make, corner next to a church. All next the time. to a church, right? So what is that <laughs> saying about our society and our government about what, not even just black people, but urban areas, very impoverished areas all across America who include black and brown and even some white. Mm-hmm. What is that saying about how the government views us? That our mental health and mental wellness is not important. That the best way for us to deal with our woes is to get drunk, get high, or go to church. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm very I mean, much bothered by that. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yep. You can't self-actualize and be a contributor to your community if your basic needs of food, shelter, security, even like security within your own mind, right, are addressed. So it's intentional. (laughs) It is completely by design. But as Black folks, what are we going to do within our own communities to change that narrative? We it's almost like we're waiting on a superhero sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. And we can't sit back and wait for the people who we think are responsible to step up to the plate. Like we have to take control of our own narrative, which again is difficult when you have mental health challenges that are going unaddressed. Um, I think we became particularly interested in this topic. Uh, You read that article in Atlantic magazine. Yeah. And it wasn't about black men specifically it was just about men in general but you read it with your black man lens because yeah, that's what who I, you are what i always do <laughs> i look at everything is through a black man's lens everything. but it, it essentially i'll give the synopsis and then i really want you to weigh in because i can't i i can't wait not a black you give it not a black man black um, woman synopsis about the black woman synopsis but what the black if, women say it basically, it, I think a white woman wrote this article. Oh, but I, Taylor Swift wrote it. Um, oh, you're grinding my gears now. <laughs> it insinuated that men do not do emotional labor in relationships because um, they don't they don't have friends, and it didn't mean like they don't have buddies. It meant like their friends don't play the role. Um, that women often play for each other in relationships as a listener, someone who provides empathy, someone who you can bounce solutions off of, um, someone to carry some of your emotional labor with you in your friendship. And so what men will often do is bring that to their partner. um, And then they also don't share in carrying their partner's burden because they can't really deal with their own burden. So then women wind up doing double the emotional labor in a relationship. Um, The only thing I'll add to that is like, that's why I'm single. I don't have the capacity to do other people's emotional labor. And that's what my relationships have been like. And I refuse to do that anymore. Um, But I've never like sat down with men and had, a conversation about this from their perspective about you know why men's relationships are different is it taboo to talk about your emotions or expect your guy friends to to do emotional labor with you is that the question yeah that's the question i'm sorry um (laughs) i i think that you should 
think that every oh gosh, it's kind of oh, it's a perplex take, question. Take your time, Pastor. <laughs> let me let time, me Pastor. exegete this text. No, <laughs> but I I don't have. I've got. I don't call many people friends. I've got like five close friends, and when I say close, it's like we know each other's struggles. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, brother, I'm struggling with this today, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not something that you know we immediately go into prayer or deep meditation about. It's like, okay, you you get through it. Like, I just needed somebody to, as a soundboard, to so like express this thought to. I got right. like five, three to five friends I can do that with on a regular basis, and that they do the same thing back to me. Um, so I think it's important. I I just think that I don't know, Ju. Like I think it it's important. I can't speak for all the guys you've dated. I can't speak for <laughs> it's not a long list. <laughs> it's about three of them. <laughs> Maybe five. Uh, okay, okay. Um and the the even the article was kind of a general blanket statement that I did not mm-hmm. agree that all men are like that. Right. Um I think that, you know, age plays a factor, like one to me, I'm more emotionally vulnerable and open now, you know, about to hit 31 in a few months than I ever have been before. I think it's because my mind has changed or because mm-hmm. I've been married for eight years, seven, eight years. I got three, 15 kids. And so. Right. You got 15 kids, I, a wife, two dogs. All, shut up. Although <laughs> I know people like that with the same situation who are not as emotionally vulnerable as, as I am. But what what's different about you? Like, what did you I, have to do? What led to this rapid evolution for you that some of the brethren I, are not experiencing? I've I, th- I expressed this to you last week in text, and I've been thinking about it since then to see if that's the only thing it was. And so, for the listening audience, about three four years ago, I cheated on my wife, and then we had like this major this big thing. Okay, so my wife confronted the woman. It got really messy. Uh, you know, thankfully we were able to mend everything. Not me and the woman, me and my wife. <laughs> so we are at the um, best place we've been in in our marriage um, since forever. And um, like during that time I was really self-reflective. I just really thought a lot about the women or, you know, that, that, that I hurt in that process. You know, of course my wife and then I thought about like, okay, people's men's daughters were affected by my bad decisions or my children, my son, you know, could could look at the actions of his father. And that really resonated with me. And I just be kinda I just kinda went on this journey for like at that point for the, the next two years, just like really self reflection. And and just seeing so much of myself and other people around me, I just took a mass amount of empathy and sympathy towards people. And I don't go to therapy, although it sounds like I do because I'm such an advocate for it. I've learned though in the past three years how to really internalize my issues. So what I do is like once a week or maybe once every two weeks, I have these conversations with myself and I say, Des, how are you feeling today? You know, it's almost like a therapy session with myself. Mm. And, you know, I bring some things out. Sometimes I cry in these <laughs> meetings with myself mm-hmm. because you're, you're always going and you never really take the time to really talk to yourself. We have these internal thoughts we have with ourselves. Should I do this? Should I do that? But do we ever take the time to, like, really have a conversation and understand the way we're feeling about something? And, and I just do that a lot. And I think, I don't know if that's what makes me different, but 
I, I'm just sympathetic and empathetic, and it's it's allowed my emotional IQ to grow, and I'm just more aware. So now I want to have these conversations with, you know, with my wife. Like, hey, I if we have a disagreement, why do we feel this way? You know, I don't raise my voice not because I'm that perfect of a human being. I just don't believe that's a good way to communicate. So we talk about really tough issues. I got friends and who, you know, we will talk about serious things. Like this is, this is how I'm feeling. You know, I'm, I might be wrong in my emotions, but this is how I'm feeling. I want to express that to you, you know, how are you feeling? You know? So I think that's, I think that's what it is. Like my emotional IQ is just on a different level because of what I've kind of experienced and been through. And maybe because of some of the hurt I've caused other people, I just want to mm-hmm. be sure I don't cause that hurt again. Does that make sense? Yes, you were being self-reflective, but like again, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess like I guess it's a I don't even know how to phrase the question. Um, but my wondering is really around how you are able to do this, but so many men struggle with it. And I know you were saying like there was this whole ordeal and I needed to regain the trust of my wife and I had to think about all these consequences, but lots of men cheat and they don't get to this point in their development. Like some cheat chronically, Um, but there's not this awareness of like, I'm hurting other people I should probably stop and I need to check in with myself regularly to ensure that I'm not just out here hurting other people. I I think that most men want to do that, but they can't. I think that, you know, but why? I think think (laughs) we need another man on the podcast. Right. Right. (laughs) This may, this may venture into like another subtopic, but you know, cheating is looked at as a badge of, of honor in the black community in especially, you know, think about, and I've done a little extensive research on this, but going dating back to um, the 50s, 60s, a lot of our grandfathers, (laughs) like, had whole second families. And it was, Uh like, acceptable, right? Culture, society, even the wives accepted that. So I think that it's been perpetrated, like, it's okay. So I don't think that many black men, A, warranted as an issue, or yeah. B, if they if they view it as an issue, it's like, well, it's an issue I'm supposed to have, you know? I, I don't know that their wives accepted it. I think they knew about it, but it was like, there's nothing that I can do about it, right? Like, okay, I see your point. If you have 10 kids at home. I see your point. In a time where, I feel like black women have always worked. I'm not going to say black women weren't economically self-sufficient because we've kind of had to be but at the same time like if you have 10 kids at home and you're a domestic worker you need that other you need that other income right you need your husband's income to continue to raise your family and I think that our grandparents were far more religious than black millennials and there was it was taboo to get a divorce like a lot of our grandmothers were physically abused but yeah. stayed in relationships physically emotionally financially abused but stayed in relationships because it's like that's what god wants me to do um i don't think it was ever condoned though 
I guess, that I guess their husbands point. had a second family. I can take your point. I can take that. No pushback here. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna push back on that a little bit, a little shove. You have no pushback. I agree. That <laughs> makes perfect sense. It's very sound doctrine, as we would say in the church. <laughs> sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I can't. Yeah, like I can't directly answer your question and say why other men. Those are some factors I think that might be reasons. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just wired different. I don't. I don't know. I really, <laughs> honestly, genuinely do not know. Um, I see my brain it. is just wired differently. Like, I think it Ugh. is. Like I, I see so many other guys older than me, younger than me, my age, who are mm-hmm. who gone through the same thing, or who who even suffer, you know, drastically, dramatically with with, with mental illness. Right? Like I see it yeah. because you are addicted to certain habits. You know, that's it's a mental illness. I see the way you d- talk to your your spouse or the way you. Um, talk your esteem towards yourself you're dealing with some clear mental traumas right that you haven't addressed Um, I cannot say this is the plight of black men this is why no it's not just a black man issue I think it's just so many different factors you know I think that so many things accumulate to make it what it is you know what I'm saying And, and I think that some of it has to do with the environment I was maybe I was fortunate enough to have a father that was super loving to me you know my dad i'm i'm more of the layers of, of desmond that i'm half puerto rican so my dad would get me uh, every weekend because him and my, and my mom were together when i was growing up but mm-hmm. he's a puerto rican man and puerto ricans if you're not familiar with the culture they are the most loving just affectionate uh, especially when you compare it to like my black side it was just different <laughs> um hugs can and, you say more about that so <laughs> so my like my dad and, and my aunts like hugs and kisses every day. It's just, um, it was different. Like my, I knew my grandmother, a clear example, clear example, my grandmother, mm-hmm. my black side, I know she loves me and I love her dearly. She says she's loved me sometimes, sometimes, but like on if, occasion. if we were on the phone, I'd be like, mm-hmm. I love you grandma. She just hang up. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I have a, Click. Aunt, I have an aunt who just like, doesn't like physical touch. Like it doesn't like, we try to hug her. She just hates it. Right. I don't yeah. know. It's it, but on my Puerto Rican side, that's all we did was hug each other. Like all we did was, "I love you, I love you." I mean, this it was just a part of the norm, the culture, and I was exposed to that so young. So growing up, I think it was just easier for me to kind of tap into that emotional side of myself and just kind of mm-hmm. be sensitive, kind of be vulnerable. And and I wasn't. I think that sometimes a man will feel that if I'm if I open up this emotionally, right, I get hurt. Right, and mm-hmm. I, I think that there's fear there. I just, I just loved without fear, or I was, I was sensitive with my emotions without fear of backlash. Right, because in school mm-hmm. you'd be teased about this, like you soft, you a punk, right? Yeah, um, and so you gotta school. It kind of grooms you to be like this hard dude that doesn't show any type of emotion that you never show when you're hurting. You're you're always like the accuser, and you're never vulnerable. But growing up, man, that that shit gets old, right? That, that like really affects you and yeah. it turns you into something that's not healthy for you or your community nor your family. So I think that was a I better a way to kind of, I don't know. You said two really powerful things though. One, like your father was present, right? Right. Like he wasn't this distant figure. He wasn't someone that you imagine. Like you know they exist, but you aren't quite sure who they are and what role they're supposed to play in helping you develop into a man. 
but you also like had a father or have a father who practices <laughs> vulnerability. You you all right over there? You need some Vicks? Can you hear me? I'll put the headphones down. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was being slick. I put, I'm sorry, no. listening audience. I was putting the headphones down. And I didn't think that you could hear me. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Apparently, like, we both made sounds on this podcast. It sounded like I was drinking. Um, like, you got some trumpeting going on in the background. <laughs> Um, but you know it's not just that your father was present your father was present and he's a a man who's emotionally vulnerable and modeled that for you and I think both of those things are super powerful yeah Yeah. now on the other side like I grew up in the household with my stepfather who was stern black man hard hard hands it was like the exact opposite so I was exposed to both but to your point I think that because of my exposure to the the kindness and the, what I got from my, my natural father, it, it, it helped change me. It helped mold me. And many black men, many men don't get that, right? 70, I forgot the statistic, but 60 to 70, I'm making a statistic up. 60 Make to 70, up. 60 to, I'm going to get that. 60, check us later. <laughs> 60 to 70% of, of black men grew up in homes without a father. So, yeah. you know, they're either incarcerated or they are this imaginary tale that they hear about but they never see so that can you know add to or or add fuel to the fire of this person who's going to grow up right not really able to show emotion Uh, yeah yeah i i think that's legit like so my younger brother and i have have different mothers oh yes a juju story a few times yes we have we have different mothers um and I'm not trying to put his business on the street, but I will share this. Um, he, he is in a loving relationship now. Uh, he's definitely evolved much better than I have out of this whole broken home situation. And um, he was worried, though. He was worried for a long time about his capacity to be able to love and be faithful. Mm. Mm. Not saying that he was unfaithful or unloving, but I remember having conversations with him. I'm almost 10 years older than my little brother, but I remember having conversations with him when he was 15, 16. So I'm like 25, 26. And he's like, sis, I'm so worried that I'm not going to be able to be a good husband. And I'm like, whoa, 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 you're too young to be thinking about these things. Like, But it was a concern for him for a really long time that, um, he was just going to be a cat mm. and he was going to be emotionally cold. Mm. Um, but I think much like yourself, not that anyone modeled vulnerability for him, but he, he started to, um, to do the self-reflection. Mm. He thought about the man he wanted to be mm. and set goals and kind of managed himself toward becoming that type of man and that type of partner that he wanted to be ideally. Um, and I don't know, like maybe our father and him have other conversations. My father's not going to have with me cause I'm not a boy. I'm not a son. So he's not going to have those kind of conversations with me. Like our conversations are when you're going to get married and you need to be married. Um, which is unproductive for me because well, sometimes my father will have a moment of reflection and be like, well, but you don't want to get married because you don't want to marry someone like me, mm. right? Um, 
and so I I think I think for my brother it has been thinking about who who is it that I want to be how do I want to show up mm. as a man um and again like there could be those vulnerable conversations but I I assume that they're not and I think it was a lot of self work on his end just like you said with yourself I commend your brother hand claps to that guy for um yeah uh or was it the the punch oh yeah the, the black, black man punch. Black I prefer man a black man punch yeah black man punch. sounds like a superhero move I like the, the black man black punch, man punch. <laughs> knocking coming out, to a theater knock, knocking out racial discrimination <laughs> everywhere <laughs> everywhere 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 um but yeah I think there's a lot that we still need to touch on this topic. I know that we're coming down to the wire because um, we had a little disruption, but, um, and it's not something you can put a pin in. Everyone has diverse experiences. I would honestly love to hear from our listeners, um, especially men who've been able to tap into their own sense of vulnerability and self-reflection. And then men who struggle with it, like what are the barriers why is it a challenge for you to to tap into that side of of your emotions and to do emotional labor with with your guy friends? Like who holds you accountable? Who who listens to you aside from your girl? Your girl can't be your therapist. That was the crux of that article. Your girl can't be your therapist. Yeah, we didn't even touch to on make that. Your girl, your therapist. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even like really touch on that so. <laughs> we'll post the article on the cool kids page and y'all can weigh in under that mm-hmm. but um but yeah what what's your challenge this week Des? um i'm reading i'm gonna so my challenge you're reading is, shut up um <laughs> i do read i'm an avid reader i'm gonna get back yes. to reading this book um it's called just mercy by, oh yeah, 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 yeah! People at my job love that book. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. It's but... a great book. I've read half of it and then I stopped because I started. Brian Stevenson. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. It's um, so a quick, quick, brief black boy synopsis. He's he's a black man who's an attorney um in this really southern area. A lot of stuff goes down um, and he has to defend this this man that's been incarcerated um wrongfully. And this is a really good story. It's a true story, um. So yeah, I, I want to get back to reading that book because it was really good, and I kind of feel bad that it's been sitting on my bookshelf like half re- uh, read. So I'm going to start back from the beginning. My challenge is to finish reading that book, Just Mercy. So you awesome. guys read it too. I don't know. <laughs> make make better life decisions. I don't know. What's make your challenge? Life decisions. Um, I am also reading. Ooh, I'm reading. reading. I know. I was like, oh, literacy. Look you, at that. You wear glasses. I'm not surprised. Right? And uh, I wear glasses because I was a bookworm as a child. Or because you're... Like, I was a voracious reader. Or, or because you're technically blind. So that could be a reason why you wear glasses as well. First of all. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm not technically blind. I am myopic, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> So I am reading Brene Brown. Everyone loves her these days. Um, Courage to Lead. I think that if you are in a position of official leadership, you should definitely read it. But I think everyone has um, the opportunity to exercise leadership, no matter where they sit within themselves or even within an organization. Um, 
if you don't like reading, Brene Brown is apparently doing master classes now on Netflix. So check her out. But she is the vulnerability guru. Um, and some of actually our last two conversations have really centered on vulnerability and the power of that. So I would say check her out. Either read Curse Lead. She has five other books. Uh, but I just happen to be reading Courage to Lead right now. Uh, if you like micro doses of inspiration, she has an Instagram account, so you can see cute little memes and quotes. Micro that doses have to do with of inspiration. Mi- micro doses of inspiration. I don't want to be fully, you know, inspired. Just a little bit to give me past just, that. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just, just sneak in a little bit sneak on my commute. Bit. I don't want to change completely. Shit. No, just I just want a tiny bit of inspiration. Bit. You can hit up her Instagram account. Uh, for some nuggets but but yeah other than that y'all I'm just gonna enjoy celebrating my favorite human on the planet my mama um yeah that that's what I'm gonna do this week um shout out Mother's Day shout out to everybody who's been listening to the cool kids podcast the numbers are growing Um, what we're growing we're averaging like 20 something a pop and to me that's pretty <laughs> I don't know if that's to me to me that's a pretty good that's a pretty big deal, you know. We no, have... it is because some people are audience of one and a half yes. on your podcast. Mm-hmm. So, so let's keep growing those numbers. We have almost if two you're dozen. enjoying share. 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 Let people know Subscribe. about us. Um follow us on Facebook and all that good stuff. The Cool Kids Podcast on Facebook. Yes. And when you're on Facebook, please leave commentary, questions, like those 20 people who are listening, if everything we said was hogwash, um, hogwash, rubbish, I, I love your words. chicanery, I love your word choice right now. <laughs> Please, like, go on there and say, y'all are full of crap. Here's what's really happening. Um, and then also, we would love to have you on the show. Turn it into a trio, a quartet, if you will. Um, we would love to have some guest co-hosts weigh in on some of our hot topics. Muy caliente. Muy caliente. Um, Muy caliente. Speaking of Muy caliente, 23andMe results will be back on the 6th. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's know. Let's know. Let's let's know. The 6th of of June, we will know how much spice I have. Um, It's none at all. Like it's Tabasco hot. You're bland. <laughs> bland. No spice. No spice. No spicy. No spice. There's no hot sauce in your bag at all. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of salt. A little bit of pepper. No hot sauce. Oh, oh, no Cuban. No, no mostly, curry. Mostly nothing. guacamole. Yeah. Oh. Because people like guacamole. It just doesn't really have a flavor. You know, it's not. It's spicy. only good with jalapenos in it. Ooh, though. you're only good with other spicy people. That hence the podcast. Hey. hey! Oh, oh, oh. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna tap out. I got some potatoes to make, even though Whole Foods delivered my groceries without the potatoes in the bag. How do, you, how do you like the grocery delivery system? We've been wanting to try that out. When it works, it's great. Moments like this where it's pouring rain outside and I need my potatoes and why wouldn't it work? They're not in the they, bag. They forgot to get it. Yeah, they didn't put my potatoes in the bag, mm. and I have to cook them in the next hour and a half. Okay. Um, yeah, Whole Foods, you suck right now. Hey, hey, I love you, though. 
Thank you guys so much for listening <laughs> to the podcast yes. for Juju and on that beat. Myself. We are the cool kids and we are out. Out. <laughs>